With the recent increased activity in the Middle East, many people are asking the question, is this the end of the world? What does all this mean in terms of biblical prophecy? Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, preachers and teachers who are respected are asked to give their opinions, their viewpoints on major networks and programs. Podcast after podcast, YouTube video after YouTube video are addressing this issue in one way or another, some admittedly with more rationality and more biblical understanding than others. People are curious and want to know the truth about the current situation. Our hearts break with the bloodshed and hatred in the Middle East. In countries not only in the Middle East, but around the world, there is conflict, hatred, fear, and bloodshed. But we're told in Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 1.7, talks about eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. The early Christians apparently greeted each other with the term Maranatha. This is an Aramaic term meaning the Lord is coming or come, O Lord. Do you and I eagerly await his return? If that is not on our thoughts and even on our lips, what might be some of the reasons that we don't eagerly await his return? I remember when I was in high school, there was a lot of talk about the second coming and so on, and I knew that I should eagerly await his return, but I wouldn't mind if he held off a few decades. After all, I wanted to get married, have children, have a career, and so on. Or perhaps we are struggling with some sin or life issue. We think that if he returns, he'll discover that we are not as holy as we think we should be. Just give me a little more time to improve, we think. Or maybe at the other end of the spectrum, some people would say we eagerly await his return because we can't tolerate the world as it is right now. We simply want to escape. I don't think any of these approaches are fully what God wants for us. And I'll come back to these thoughts again in a little bit, but first I want to take a look at various end-time viewpoints. When it comes to the biblical study of end-time events, there is a wide spectrum of viewpoints. These tend to center around three major views. The first view is that some would say that Scripture teaches a literal rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where believers are caught up into heaven, like Enoch and Elijah. Following that, there will be seven years of extreme difficulty where the whole world, and particularly the nation of Israel, is severely oppressed. After that, the Lord Jesus returns to sit on a literal throne in Jerusalem, ruling over his physical kingdom for 1,000 years, followed by a new heavens and a new earth. That's the first viewpoint. Another viewpoint, number two, others would say that the 1,000-year reign of Christ, the millennium, is happening actually right now in heaven in a spiritual sense. They would say that the kingdom of God is slowly developing here on earth in an already not yet fashion. There are some elements of Christ's kingdom which are shown through the body of Christ, but it's not fully manifested yet. They would say at some point in the future, Christ will return to set up his eternal kingdom after a certain period of time. That's the second viewpoint. The third viewpoint is that there are others who say that almost all the biblical prophecy was fulfilled by A.D. 70 at the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem by the Romans. They would say that through the church, Christ is working even now to not only redeem people, but to make the world a better place. They would say that things will get better and better gradually over time. 
For them, the millennium is thus a gradually developing time, not limited to a literal 1,000 years. At the end of that time, and that could be 2,000 years from now, 5,000 years, 10,000 years from now, Christ will return to establish his eternal kingdom. Within each of those three major views, there are many variations on those themes. Now, I do have a view on all this myself, but I'm not going to specifically describe it. Certainly one-on-one, I'm happy to discuss my view with anybody, but for purposes of this ministry, I want to talk about our attitude toward the end times, that's eschatology, the study of end times, and look at how current events can spur us on to further spiritual growth and ministry. Before we go there, at a minimum, I want to note that the nation of Israel is now the focal point of much of the world's attention. Almost all the world's governments, militaries, and and military forces are focused on what's going to happen in the Middle East. We ask ourselves, will there be great loss of life in the coming days, weeks, and months? How can we pray for this situation? Who is right and who is wrong in this battle? Will Iran take a direct role in the coming weeks? Will nuclear weapons be used? Could this even lead to the end of civilization as we know it? Oh, these are scary questions, aren't they? Getting back to our motivations for wanting him to return now or not, let's talk about the situation where you think you're not ready for him to return. You see him still working in your life or not. You're dealing with some major sin issue or some life issue, and you're just embarrassed. You'd be shamed for him to return now. Perhaps you're worried that if he were to come tonight, that you would be caught and not make it into his kingdom. Well, to this objection, I would remind each of us that according to John 3.16 and John 6.47 and many other passages, we are given the wonderful free gift of eternal life by simply believing in Jesus for eternal life. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That everlasting life begins right now, not in the future sometime. The moment we believe in him for eternal life, he gives us that free gift. It's not dependent on us or what we do or don't do. Now, obviously, we should be seeking him and to become more like him every day, so we should be wanting to deal with sin issues in our life. But we are promised the gift of eternal life by faith alone in Christ alone, not based on anything we do or don't do. Remember that, please. Now, getting back to biblical prophecy and how that may play a role in what we're seeing today, we know that for some who study biblical prophecy, the nation of Israel is really no different than any other nation. It holds no major prophetic importance. They feel like Israel is just a nation like any other. However, for others who study biblical prophecy, the reestablishment of the nation of Israel in 1948 was a major prophetic fulfillment. After all, what other nation has ever come back into existence after having been scattered throughout the whole world for 2,000 years in apparent fulfillment of biblical prophecy? A couple of years ago, on September 10, 2021, I heard an interesting podcast called Understanding the Times. They were featuring a man by the name of David Reagan, R-E-A-G-A-N, and he described this situation of the prophecy and the old te- prophecies in the Old Testament about the Jews coming back into their land. I want to share with you some of those passages. Two things, mainly. Number one, God promised that the Jewish people would be regathered in the land within, in a situation of unbelief. 
Isaiah 11 and 11, uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 through 12 and following say, Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover with his hand the second time the remnant of his people who will remain. From Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. He will lift up a flag for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. End quote. So he promised that the Jewish people would be re- regathered in unbelief. At the beginning of the 20th century, there were about 40,000 Jews in all of Israel. Today, there are almost 7 million. Amazing. So that's the first promise, is that the Jewish people would be regathered. The second promise is for the reestablishment of the state of Israel. And that's noted several places in the Old Testament, but I'm going to look at Isaiah 66, verses 7 and 8. In New American Standard Bible, it says, quote, <clears throat> Before she was in labor, she delivered. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be given birth all at once? As soon as Zion was in labor, she also delivered her sons. Now we note in this that pain came after the birth. Typically, childbirth is is uh, related to a lot of pain before the birth. But in this passage, God says that there will be pain after the birth. He also refers to the fact that the land would be born in one day. Well, many of us would say that this was fulfilled on May 14, 1948. The state of Israel was born. What happened the next day? Five Arab nations attacked. The birth pains continue to this day, war after war after war. Pain came after the birth. You know, I've learned that much of the Christian life boils down to simply believing what God says in his word. We walk by faith, not by sight. God promised that the Jews would be brought back to their homeland, and they were. He promises in Scripture, and we believe it. The events of the 20th century, in terms of the reestablishment of the state of Israel and the regathering of the Jewish people back in their homeland, is a great testimony to the sovereignty of God and His trustworthiness. He promised it, and it would happen. He promised it would happen, and it did. In the same way, he promises to give us eternal life, which starts right now the moment we believe in him for that. If we believe him in that promise, we will have the gift of eternal life. Well, you know, watching the news these past several days and weeks, it's very easy to become frightened, uncertain about the future. Our hearts are broken for those in harm's way, for those who are suffering in the midst of all this chaos. We do need to keep looking up while having our feet firmly planted on planet Earth, being ready to be used in whatever way he calls us until we're taken away. Remember that the God of the universe who spoke the worlds into existence is superintending all this. How all that works, I really don't know. But I do know that God sees it all and is at work in the middle of what seems to be a hopeless situation. In the midst of seeming chaos and turmoil, we can rest in the knowledge that God has it all under control. For me, the reestablishment of the state of Israel in 1948 was a fulfillment of Scripture, a great testimony to God's promises being fulfilled, and a testimony to His sovereign control. I would urge each of us to remember God's sovereignty and simply rest in His power, His love, and His promises.
The world situation looks bad at present. War in the Middle East seems imminent. Yet he is in control. Things are not falling apart. They're falling into place, as someone has said. Keep eagerly awaiting his return as we are commanded in Scripture. From the website gotquestions.org, there is an article regarding the word Maranatha, and I want to read just an excerpt from that. Quote, Maranatha is an Aramaic word that means the Lord is coming, or come, O Lord. The early church faced much persecution, and life for a Christian under Roman rule was not easy. Living under those adverse conditions, the believer's morale was lifted by the hope of the coming of the Lord. Maranatha became the common greeting of the oppressed believers, replacing the Jewish greeting Shalom, which meant peace. The followers of Jesus knew there would be no peace because Jesus had told them so. But they also knew that the Lord would be returning to set up his kingdom, and from that truth they grew great comfort. They were constantly reminding and being reminded that the Lord is coming. Maranatha. End quote. With that as a basis, next time we will look at what the believer's attitude should be toward all of these events as we look at the meaning of the term imminency, that Christ's return is imminent. And then we'll look at several principles, no matter what our view of eschatology or the end times is. Remember, my friends, Maranatha. Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.